I think uh, that the definition of risk has been quite different in my life uh, since the beginning. I generally, uh, typically don't have plan B. If I if I believe <laughs> in something I'm going to do, it just has to work. There's only plan A uh, and you find your way through. If there's a real problem that I know people want to solve, then then that is uh, uh, that's something uh, it's good enough for me to go after and spend a lot of effort. I get a bit obsessed with it, unfortunately. That's my guest on today's show, Tony Nim. He's a Swedish patent attorney and serial IP entrepreneur. Tony joins me to discuss his many business ventures and investments, including how he got started as a patent attorney. He shares some interesting stories about his journey so far and what drives his boundless passion and energy. I'm your host, Justin Simpson. I'm an Australian patent attorney and founder of Bill Trader. Welcome to the next episode of Talking IP, a podcast for IP professionals featuring conversations that take you inside the professional lives and careers of global IP leaders and entrepreneurs. I hope you enjoy the show. So, so your your latest venture is uh, Right Hub. I know a little bit about it, but uh, I always love to hear about businesses from the horse's mouth, so to speak. So, what's what's Right Hub all about? Well, uh, you know, after twenty years in this industry, uh, one thing that I've always kind of wanted to do is go away from the point solutions. And this is really not only in this industry. I mean, literally every every industry, whether you're in, you know you're building sales tools, the products, or uh, HR products, or anything else. Uh, it's there's so many software products and services you have to use uh, to complete a task really, or within a company or an IP department or a law firm practice. My vision has been always to uh, build a place where you don't have to jump between a hundred different products from different vendors uh, as a user, at least the experience for you should be one and the same in, in one place, integrated, fully integrated. And uh, that's really where we want to take Right Hub, a place where anyone in the industry can connect, they can work and transact together, and they can manage anything they uh, they own. It's fairly simple from that perspective. <laughs> it's it's uh, the simple ideas are often the hardest uh, to execute. That sounds like a lot of software, a lot of infrastructure to be able to get all the tools uh, in one place. I know you've got a, a good team behind you. I met uh, JJ Kirtland before out of uh, CPA Global. I think he did a he built something that was similar to my Anovia product, and he did it very well. I think he did it better than I did. So uh, h- how do you get all of those things together? How how's the build going so far? Yeah, it's been. I mean, uh, this is a multi-year project it's not something that's going to happen overnight of course but uh we, we've got an amazing team in place with a lot of experience but also uh, a lot, uh, quite a few new younger uh, people that know all the the new stuff that we don't know uh, <laughs> from other experiences uh, like you said we're, we're getting a little bit too old now <laughs> so we do need to have external influence from other industries uh, especially on the design and the ux side uh, side of things uh, but yeah i mean we're, we've built away we've launched obviously the the first version of the connect uh, we call it the connect uh, platform where people can connect with each other which is almost like a linkedin for ip that's been uh, up and running now for a few months uh, we have launched in beta the rest of the platform in in a, in, a, in v1 so that's with a few customers now as well uh, we're hoping to go really live with that in uh, early next year i mean there's there's so much going on a lot of activities plus technology uh, that will speed up uh, that the journey as well that's an impressive start and uh, doing acquisitions early on is that have you got some uh, private equity backing to help you there with that or is it all uh, tony nims ipendo slush fund uh? 
Yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, actually, um, we've completed two acquisitions. The third one should be hopefully done uh, this or next week. The first one was a pure cash deal, mainly cash deal, although some investors actually really invested. Uh, wasn't a huge amount. So yeah, that, that was my own uh, personal investment in the, in the business. The two other deals are pure equity, which means that those guys are joining us on the journey. They believe in the vision. They want to be part of it. And uh, so it's, there's no, we don't really need to pay up uh, a lot of cash for that, but we, we get to go on this journey with a few amazing people. Well, that's uh, impressive. Obviously, uh, you, you have a track record. I, I know being the second time around, it's easier to have a little bit of a reputation in the industry. It's great to see that people are, are believing in you and, and coming along with you on the journey. Yes, indeed. Uh, I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that. I, I never expected any of it, but you know, it was, uh, things pop up sometimes and uh, opportunities along the way will we'll, uh, grab them. Absolutely. I'm going to step back all the way back to the dim, dark ages of when uh, we were both young men. Uh, and I believe you started your career as a regular patent attorney. Is it pronounced over patent in uh, Sweden? Yes, over patent, uh, as it used to be, I think it's called over uh, nowadays. They dropped the patent from it. And uh, how, how did you get the job there? I mean, uh, uh, most people don't even know what a patent attorney is. There's, uh, there's only two, about a thousand in Australia. I imagine there's even fewer in Sweden. It is indeed. Um, actually, the first time I came across patents, uh, generally, I was working for Ericsson in R&D back in 2000, I believe. And uh, we had someone from the patent department there came and gave us uh, a speech about uh, how we should protect our inventions. And I think we left from there. We were trainees back in the day. When we left from there, it was like, yeah, we're not doing much of that. Uh, <laughs> no one wanted to fill out a bunch of forms. And it felt, it felt a little bit dated for a bunch of engineers working on the new IP telephony back then 20 years ago <laughs> uh, before before Skype existed. So uh, yeah, and then uh, honestly, I, I saw, um, I think I saw an ad somewhere or someone sent me something about a trainee program that was quite specific for all the base and the way they, they kind of like talked about it and described it uh, felt really interesting. Uh, you know, it's R&D, it's uh, something for the future. Uh, it's legal. I thought, you know, it's an interesting thing to take a look at. And uh, yeah, ended up uh, joining that trainee program. And uh, uh, yeah, and the rest is history. And uh, I mean, so how did you go starting off as a patent attorney? I mean, you're a personable guy, you like to talk to people, but a lot of the work of a patent attorney is uh, drafting long and complicated documents, chatting to the inventor for an hour, which is very exciting, but then 20 hours of writing up. How, how did you go actually enjoying the work itself? I think if you ask people that uh, were at Ava and, and met me, worked with me back in the pay, back in the day, they'll probably tell you I was probably not the easiest guy to manage, uh, <laughs> or, or not only there, probably in any company, uh, completely unmanageable. That's why but, you're uh, a boss now. <laughs> I guess, I guess I, I'm a lot more humble now. Let's put it that way. Uh, I think, or um, I ended up doing back in the day is is actually carving my way into business development already. Then at at Ava. Uh, that's when, and I joined the IT telecom software team exactly when the IT bubble burst and the, it literally crashed. So I came in there and for the first time ever in the industry, there was not a lot of work coming in and you had to go out and find your own work. And no, people were not used to do that in the industry. So, uh, but actually Alva was quite uh, proactive at that point. They put together a, a sales team across uh, regions. And, um, you know, I, I, I managed to get myself into that somehow and spent quite a lot of time talking to customers. I think I met over a couple hundred customers over a few months. 
existing customers and that we haven't spoken to for a long time and started trying to find out ways of getting work through the door, uh, whatever that was, uh, competitor analysis or anything else uh, that I could do. So so I, I did find a way to actually get out to the market. <laughs> I mean, that, that sounds uh, like half half the job of an entrepreneur, talking to clients, find out what they want, talking them into stuff. Indeed, indeed. So you were training as a patent attorney as well as uh, training as a, as a business person. That was, I mean, it was uh, probably the best education from that perspective. Uh, probably the, uh, a useless patent attorney from that perspective, but <laughs> understanding customer needs and uh, why they want to use I, uh, IP and what, which context and what interests them for different type of industries, I, that became very quickly the, the thing I actually liked, uh, the strategic part of it. It's, uh, I think it's rare to find a patent attorney with personality, and you're, you're certainly one of them. So I, I can imagine you'd be very good at that that job. So you're at uh, uh, of a patent for a while and uh, and uh, developing your business development skills. Then uh, you started Ipendo, and obviously it's a risky thing to go out on your own. Start, I believe, your first business. I'm assuming your first business. What was that like? You were you taking a risk? Was that uh, nerve wracking to to go and do that? Uh, not really, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, the definition of risk has been quite different in my life uh, since the beginning. Uh, but uh, I don't know why. For me, it wasn't. I mean, I was young. I had no family back then, no kids or any any of that. So uh, leaving the firm, of course, it's a big decision. But it wasn't. I didn't see it as a massive risk. In worst case, you know, you didn't work out. You go do something else. Uh, but uh, I generally, uh, typically, don't have Plan B. If I if I believe in something, I'm going to do it. Just has to work. There's only Plan A, uh, and you find your way through. If there's a real problem that I know people want to solve, then then that is uh, uh, that's something uh, it's good enough for me to go after and spend a lot of effort. I get a bit obsessed with it, unfortunately. Well, I, I think that's that's one of the talents to, that uh, that drives success. I always talk about well, you, you talk about Plan A. I don't think anything ever goes according to Plan A in a in a business. Obviously, there's the Plan A direction, but uh, you would have had some hiccups along the way. Uh, what was the difference between your first idea of Ipendo and what it ended up being? Completely different, <laughs> as always. Uh, honestly, I mean, you're young. Uh, Ipendo. The, the idea behind it came out of all these meetings that I had with customers right uh, we it really started with within ava they had built a uh, they were quite a proactive firm compared to many others back in the day and they had already built a customer portal and spent quite a lot of time and money on that uh, and uh, part of my approach to the market or, or our approach in sales was go out to try to offer that as part of the deal if you work with us we can you can see your portfolio and, and give instructions on renewals and other things and this is 20 years ago so it, it was it was um, fairly uh, advanced for for the market then you know when when you're when you're talking to customers they obviously want a lot more than that and i tried to get these ideas back and of course as a law firm there's only a limited amount of money and time you can you can spend on these things and um, so at the end of the day i think i got a little bit frustrated probably became a little bit too much of a pain uh, and and decided to leave and <laughs> and and try the idea with dependo was to to build a layer between law firms and corporates so a way for them to collaborate or communicate and that's really the first version of dependo was also exactly that it wasn't meant to be a docketing platform it wasn't meant to be anything apart from here's my portfolio here are the upcoming due dates or the renewals here's a forecast a very simple way of visualizing a patent family a very simple way of visualizing your portfolio uh, and that's really where we started 
but very quickly we realized that um, actually the you know customers wanted there was not a lot of competition we were competing with excel back in the day uh, most <laughs> of the competition was typically in the us uh, a few companies foundation ip and aqua and others that had started back in the day but uh, otherwise it was uh, denemeyer cpi fairly old products that uh, were quite dated compared to our platform back in the day so so uh, from that perspective it wasn't uh, that the big risk was or the, the biggest pains really were we're going to take your inventions put them in the cloud 20 years ago was not a popular thing i don't think that word existed then <laughs> exactly so building a SaaS product 20 years ago uh, was quite an interesting challenge when SaaS didn't really exist, we didn't really know it was SaaS. We thought, okay, things just going to need to be in the cloud and the people <laughs> going to pay a subscription. Uh, simple. That, so, so that was one, of course, coming there as a 25-year-old kid uh, selling into this kind of industry. You can imagine that, of course. Uh, hiring people in the industry that have experience, they're going to you know, believe in you. Um, you know, I'm so grateful for the team that came on board. I had. <laughs> Were you able to shave at that point? I mean, uh, you, you're pretty young. I, I tried to, to you know, <laughs> it's uh, it's the, the biggest challenges were really this uh, convincing the market to believe in you uh, and you're going to be around. You're not going to, you're not going to go away in, in the next six months and uh, being able to raise capital or and hire people. Th those are the typical challenges, but they, they were ex extraordinary compared to many other businesses I've been involved in uh, over the past few years. I mean, you can build a $100 billion company now and you're 25 years old, but in this industry, you know, everything is trust. Uh, yes. That, that was quite a, a big thing, but uh, we actually ended up doing the, the whole company without any real VCs. We had a couple of angels that came in with very little amount of money, I had a fantastic board. And then, of course, we ended up being a, a, a part of, of uh, the Zaku group uh, after a while. Uh, but yeah, uh, it was it was <laughs> interesting times. That's a it's a, it's a great adventure. So I, I thought that uh, Zaku was like one of your early clients or so they they bought you or partially bought you at some point or how did that relationship form? Yes, indeed. So they reached out to us back in 2007, uh, really around the partnership collaboration. And we were a very, very tiny team. Uh, we had made some some ripples, I guess, in, in Sweden. And uh, Zaka back in the day had a Swedish uh, CEO. We had a few meetings and actually they came back and said, look, we would like to invest in you also, if that's if that's possible. Um a couple more discussions and they ended up saying actually we would like to take you know buy 51 percent of the company <laughs> uh, when you're six people and you hardly you know you literally just uh, got started a year and a half ago uh, with we we our first reaction was uh, no we're not going to do this uh, we thought more about it uh, I I given where we were and we said okay if we're going to do something like this it has to have a value more than the financial value and uh, we managed to to kind of negotiate a deal where where Olsazaka would commit to provide customers uh, to speed up our journey. And the second very important point was to stay independent, so they could be uh, represented on the board, but they couldn't change our business plan or force us to do things uh, that we didn't want to do for a period of four years. Um, and uh, at the same time, I also joined the Zacco management team uh, for during that period of time. So that was that was also a really interesting learning journey. 
So you, the uh, the, the little twenty five year old, uh, well, you're not little. You're a six foot two or whatever you are. You're you're a tall man amongst the the grey hairs of the Zacco group. So that was uh, quite a, a thumbs up uh, to be included into that uh, auspicious crowd. Yeah, but uh, if you're unmanageable and you have uh, thoughts and ideas that uh, are not typically streamlined with the rest of the the, the teams, in fairness, we had we had a really good team. Honestly, uh, there's a lot of smart people out there that with a lot of ambitions, but unfortunately a lot of uh, a lot of firms uh, in in the industry are spending way too much time on things they shouldn't be spending time on i don't know why i, I i'm still trying to figure that out is it something they actually want to do or is it just they, they don't know if there's any other option uh, if i would be starting a firm today doing ip i you know i don't there's 80% of the stuff they do today i don't want to do it's just irrelevant uh, but uh, maybe it's just all the structures that's still there and, and the way people think about it. I, I'm 100% on board with that. I Obviously, I'm, I'm running this uh, new bill trader business now. I'm trying to say, look, you spend your time doing your uh, professional work and leave all the collection and payments to us and all that FX stuff. That's not really your core business. And uh, so same philosophy. Exactly. So uh, uh, I'm not sure how long it was, but a year and a half into Ipendo and you're getting a takeover offers, that's a very short period of time. Uh, in my experience, it was very flattering. You then uh, eventually sold, I think sold to CPA Global and certainly became part of that team. Was that was something like seven years in? How did that all happen? Did they reach out to you? Did you go start a sale process? What was that all? How did that process work? Are people always, always interested in how these sale, sale events happen? Yeah, so the contract we had with with Zacco, of course, was um, predicated on the fact that we, you know, if you were taking financial control of the business, we need to have some kind of an exit uh, horizon, uh, and that was a four year contract uh, where they they had to buy the business at the end of the that period of time, or if we found a third party provider or company that would actually. Uh, acquire the whole of Ipendo uh, for a price that uh, that we both agreed on. Then then we would do that deal. Uh, so towards that that period of time, at the end of that those four years, uh, we uh, reached out to a few companies and we were looking at also talking to a few investors and VCs and the likes. And uh, we had some really good discussions with um, uh, with CPA. Uh, they had plans and what they want to do with the business and uh, they had seen us in the marketplace as well uh, I like the people I spoke to uh, then as well so and, and honestly my my impression of CPA on the market was not very positive when I was meeting them uh, and hearing from customers but the people I talked to and spent some time with were, were you know uh, fascinating and from that perspective we ended up becoming good friends uh, after that and they they went post post deal so yeah there's uh process with CPA kicked off and it took us a few months to finalize the deal uh, as well so it wasn't a quick thing well we, we could have been we could have been uh, partners uh, there I think uh, might have been uh, Simon Webster you were talking to I had a few discussions with him while at uh, Anovia we couldn't quite get to a deal for various contractual reasons but uh, we could have been sitting in office next to one another we were, we were closely parallel absolutely yeah absolutely he's, he's a good guy um, I believe he's 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 moved on to do some uh, investing in himself now. So uh, uh, always good to keep uh, friends in the industry. He did, he did. Indeed. I'm actually going to go have a coffee with him on Friday this week. So <laughs> okay, well, give him my regards. <laughs> will do, will do. Coming along the journey, you've uh, been bought by CPA Global. Hopefully, uh, a dollar or two in the pocket. Uh, I'm sure, but uh, most people, once they once they get bought, it's either uh, well, here's the door. 
uh, young man or, uh, or, or you quit. But you stayed there for quite a long time and, and rose in the ranks. So uh, how did that process come about? Yeah, honestly, I mean, uh, when, when we did the deal with CPA, I spent a few months in Sweden trying to integrate my team as well. Uh, and uh, we, uh, you know, as always, these things are never easy. Uh, but um, Simon said at the end, look, uh, you know, I'd love during our conversations, uh, I would love you to come over to Jersey and, you know, work more globally in the company, work in my team, and let's, let's uh, take your vision and try to implement it across the globe and thought a bit about it, uh, quite a big transition, but it felt good because I felt sometimes, you know, as a founder sitting there with the team, it will probably make the integration too hard after a while. Uh, so stepping out and letting people integrate uh, with others without me was probably a good idea as well. So that's what ended up happening. I, I left Sweden, moved to, to Jersey in December 2012, exactly, almost exactly 10 years now. And um, uh, my plan was I'll go there for six months and see how things are. Uh, things started happening at CPA already after three months. They, CPA was acquired by Sinven, private equity firm, um, changed ownership. And uh, that kicked off a bunch of other activity and uh, changes and rewards. And after a year or so, um, uh, I was asked if I could start you know, helping. It started with becoming a, you know, coming into the technology uh, side of things. Uh, focusing on the SaaS products that CPA had acquired, including my own company. And then that quickly, after a couple of months, expanded into chief technology officer and then became chief product officer as well. And then became got into strategy and innovation and professional services. And it ended up being a massive, much, much bigger team that I, than I ever <laughs> managed in the past in so many countries and many clients and products. I thought running my own business was a challenge. This one was a completely different level uh, in terms of the amount of work and amount of people and a lot of acquisitions that have happened over many years. And uh, there was a lot of structures to build and a lot of products to, you know, what do we do with each product? How do we bring them together? How do we develop the, the customer experience in a different way and implement our strategy as a business in a way that that customers actually enjoy and taking a company that is 50 years old uh to to on on a journey like this it's uh, quite interesting it sounds like a very interesting challenge i mean it's a, a very successful business started a very long time ago but i would think it would be a huge challenge especially as the acquisitions grow and grow to how do you uh, service all those customers well how do you integrate them well uh and i guess they just kept giving you new, new job titles to give you the job to figure it out yeah, I mean, vision-wise and where, where I wanted to take this, uh, honestly, it's nothing has changed, almost nothing since 2005 in my mind. Uh, and doing what I'm doing with Right Hat now is exactly the, the vision I had in 2005. The problem hasn't changed. It's still there. Uh, but uh, at CPA, I thought, okay, we've got the scale, we've got the money, we've got the customer base to, to actually be able to do this uh, a lot faster than anyone else could do it in the space. And, uh, you know, Simon was a big believer in the same vision. Uh, uh, the, the, the board and the investors, they were all on the same, on the same page as well. So, uh, and that's why I stayed, uh, the, the years I stayed, because I think it is quite exciting. Customers wanted to come with us on the journey. So there was no, uh, I think it was probably the challenge was a lot more internally, uh, getting people to not worry about losing their jobs and 
you know, it's always, I understand that uh, at the end of the day, you're dealing with people. And that's probably one of the biggest learnings of over the past 15 years or so in, in my life that scaling companies, and I've seen this in many other companies in different industries, is finding the right type of people at the right phase in a company's story and, and journey is, is absolutely crucial. Some will be able to scale with you, some won't, and some are going to be stoppers. But that's, that's really the biggest headache. I agree 100%. People, people are complex. <laughs> I've had some staffing issues today I've had to deal with, which has given me a bit of a headache. But uh, I do remember, I mean, build, building an over over 10 years, maybe we had uh, at least 30 salespeople in the, in the period. But now starting Build Trader, I only took three or four of them with me because uh, getting the right people is, is hard. Absolutely. That was actually by far the hardest thing uh, in Nipendo. It was not you know, finding customers or building the product or knowing what to build. And, you know, that wasn't really the issue. We Clients were really dying to have the product. Uh, it was for us finding professional services, people to hold, handhold the customers to implement this, understand the data, understand how to train the customers and using the product. And doing that, replicating it country by country, it's, uh, it's quite a challenge. Mm. And I mean, the audience, the, the customers of IP services, they're quite particular individuals. They're very well educated. They're very pedantic. They know what they're talking about. And so I know a fresh salesperson coming into the room who doesn't know anything about the IP, they just don't take them seriously. No, no, absolutely. And imagine doing that also when you're deploying portfolios. So you've got the sales process, you need to have salespeople that understand what customers want. And then at the same time, when you're you know, take a portfolio and there's a lot of risk in getting data wrong or putting it in the wrong place and and training the customer on their, you know, setting up workflows. If you really don't understand how customers, you know, be very close to every single process during those years. But when you're a bigger global company, it becomes a bit more difficult. So, uh, but but I think we, we uh, at the end, did a, did a fairly good job on that. When, when you're that size, you can't have uh, Tony Nim in every room uh, for every meeting. Definitely not. <laughs> my business is quite small at the moment, so I can zoom in uh, uh, to overseas like I'm doing now. So it's uh, uh, easier than uh, uh, the technology wasn't around when you were, you were there. So let's move forward. So things changed at CPA Global when Sinvan bought. I think the whole market was impressed by the number, the valuation. I can't remember whether that was the 400 million, but then there, there was another acquisition that became 700 million. And then eventually uh, Clarivate, in Australian terms, $10 billion. That was an enormous sum. Hopefully you had some uh, equity along the way to uh, to uh, to enjoy. But uh, what, what was that like? Uh, I think Clarivate's uh, obviously a, a listed company. That change at a much larger scale. How did that change your experience in CPA Global? I actually left uh, CPA a couple of months before the Clarivate acquisition happened, so I, I didn't get to experience that one. Uh, but uh, we went through quite a few acquisitions before that. Uh, both, uh, you know, we we did the Sinvin part from 2012 to 2017, and then there was another couple of private equity firms that acquired CPA in 2017. And uh, we did another three years with these guys. And during those those years as well, we did a few larger acquisitions as well, like the IPAN group and uh, and a few others. We actually acquired part of the business, the IPMS and the renewals business from Clarivate before the Clarivate deal actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Clarivate went from, uh, you know, focusing on uh, information and data to actually now wrapping around their arms around the whole IP uh, bit as well. Uh, it's it's always a huge, huge um, challenge in, in bringing those guys on board and keeping people incentivized and wanting to be part of this new journey. So, uh, yeah, that, that's been an absolute 
I mean, tremendous learning also along the way with integration projects of, of M&A. When you first at uh, Arva, you were, you were learning how to be a business person by doing some business development. Now uh, with uh, CPA Global, all the uh, acquisitions taught you how to be a, an investor. So you, you then went and started uh, Yobi Partners or joined uh, Yobi Partners. What was that all about? And, and what were some of the projects that you invested in there? Yeah, so, so Yobi Partners is really uh, more of a formality uh, in, in my world. It's just a name for activities that I have been doing for the past uh, number of years. Even while I was at CPA, we were uh, I was personally investing and helping smaller tech businesses outside of IP. I'm just cur- very curious about learning new things in completely other industries. And uh, that's always been very helpful also in, in, in any job I've been doing. Uh, so uh, my plan was to just, you know, do investments, uh, join some boards, and be a proactive and, and active in those businesses I invested in. Uh, so Yobi was was uh, more the formality of, of setting up the company and actually start doing that with, with my network. So in some deals, I will invest myself. Uh, in uh, a few other deals, I've gone in with a network of other investors, sometimes with VCs, sometimes with angel investors or family offices in different places. Uh, but yeah, we've done, uh, I've built a portfolio of about uh, 15, 15 companies or so, uh, so far in completely different uh, industries. I don't know how you get the time to sleep. You've, uh, you're a busy man. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, having, uh, having invested in these uh, 15 uh, co- companies, I, I know uh, when I, I sold out of Anovia, I had, had a bit of cash on me. I, I thought I know about building businesses, surely I'll be good at the stock market. Um, and boy, was I wrong. Uh, how have you gone as an investor rather than a business builder yourself? So I've always found it a lot easier to to be active in the businesses I invest in. Uh, I feel like you're, you have more control, you know what's happening, you're, you can be more proactive if you're running out of cash or they're in a certain problem or they need to hire a certain person or what have you. But, but I honestly, I, I did my mistakes on the stock market when I was uh, 20 or something. I invested in a, an IT startup, made really good money off of it. And I thought, this is fantastic. Bought three others and then the IT crash came and I lost all of it. Uh, so <laughs> I learned it very early, thank God. <laughs> a humbling experience. Maybe when you were dealing with uh, less dollars to begin with. So, uh... <laughs> exactly, exactly. Focus most of my, my time on, on the startups and private companies so I can, I can be a bit more engaged and, and help. And, and, you know, we managed to build a business and uh, sell one to Microsoft in 2017, as an example, already uh, for quite a, a good amount. And uh, we uh, IPO'd another business in Sweden uh, in, in 2019, I believe. And uh, so we've done, I've done a few deals and uh, we just sold another company here uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we've got a few that are, are quite interesting, but you, you never know. Well, th- three out of 15 already sounding very successful is a, is a good stat. Um, so as a, as a board member, I mean, uh, some people don't like boards, some people don't like being on boards, but uh, uh, I, I find talking about businesses uh, interesting. I would imagine you would, uh, you would enjoy being part of a board. What, what, what do you think is the role of a, a board member? Oh, you're entering a topic. I have so many views on this now. Uh, <laughs> you know, when, you, when you've never been on a board before and started, of course, with my own company uh, and seeing the dynamics of the board and never been on a board. But luckily, I had in my first, in, during the Pendo journey, actually, the first uh, year or so, I had a couple of angel investors. One was the CFO of Toyota in Europe. 
uh, one had started a multi-billion dollar company uh, it was the founder in, in sweden of a, a finance system kind of thing like a zero type of business uh, and uh, we had a guy who was a private equity guy from harvard uh, an mba from harvard those guys were my board that was my first company and i have no idea how i managed <laughs> to get them on there but it, that was if anything that was a very humbling experience uh, learned tons on on how to behave and and uh, what's important for a board and, and so on honestly from there on uh, a lot of the, the the boards have been on uh, if not most of them have been absolute wreck i mean it's to me boards are there to make sure the company is doing what it needs the league you know the fiduciary kind of responsibility is one important one but of course make sure they to set the 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 vision uh, together with the vision of the owners where they want to take the business and make sure that the management team is executing on that and hold them responsible for it so you've got the two different types the ones that hardly add any value because they they haven't even they're there just because their cv is is all right but they really are not into this and you've got the guys that think they are the ones running the company and they want to tell <laughs> the ceo and everyone else exactly what to do You've, you've got these 15 companies you're looking after. You've started uh, Right Hub that we've had a bit of a chat about. Uh, so many business interests. Uh, how is it that you uh, get time for family? I believe there's a there's a new baby in your life as well as these uh, new businesses. There is. There is. I mean, uh, a year ago or just over a year ago, I didn't even know. My plans were not to start a new company and, and not have a new baby. Uh, that was my life back then. Take it easy and uh, or easier and and just go do investments and all of a sudden uh, now I mean look it's um, um, I work I actually work from home most of the time so I get to to see the family quite a lot uh, it's been a couple this past month has been quite busy traveling uh, quite a bit every week but uh, I'm always back home as quickly as I can I had to I'm obviously you can't do all these things at the same time uh, right up is taking 150 percent of, of my time now uh, the other investments I've made it very clear for a lot of them that I will not be as engaged as I used to be uh, during this journey so yeah there's some things you have to park simply these uh, uh, it's probably like me uh, having having sold an over I thought I'll just relax and uh, and uh, sit by the pool but then this bill trader idea came into my mind. And I just couldn't let go. I had to go and do it. You're probably the same with RightHub. It's a bug. I keep asking myself every day, why do I do this? <laughs> why do you do it? <laughs> I don't think anyone who knows me, I mean, they, there's two sides of the coin. Uh, they, they know me. They say, well, why the hell are you still doing this? You don't have to do this. You can just have fun and enjoy life. But at the same time, they know how I think. And um, I, I just can't settle. It's a good and bad thing. Yeah, you can't sit back. There's a there's a famous Australian artist called Margaret Ollie, and she says a true artist is one that is compelled to create. I think that's true of entrepreneurs as well. I, I mean, I, I just love that. I love building teams. I love building new products and being part of a vision. And especially if you have, I mean, in the IP space, it's probably a crazy thing what we're trying to do now. But uh, it's, it's way too big of a vision uh, to, to really change the dynamics of how people communicate in this space. I'm just so... So convinced that this has to happen, whether we do it or we we instigate someone else to to do it along the way, who knows? But uh, hopefully we we will we'll get there. How many years it's going to take? Uh, God knows. But this once you've got the vision in your head, uh, it just irritates uh, irritates me every morning looking at things the way they're working and and knowing there's so much space and room for improvement. That I'm I'm quite convinced that you can do quite a lot more with that. 
you could uh, quickly get to a, a doubling, as as you say. I mean, that was similar similar when I started at Anovia. Everyone was paying lots of money to file these patents overseas. I thought there's a way to do it more cheaply. That was just one example. You're you're tackling the whole IP process. Uh, I I can imagine there's inefficiencies all along the pathway. Yeah, the the thing is in this, I think what's what's difficult for people and including investors to wrap their head around is because when when you talk to investors generally, even the biggest VCs in the world, they're very narrowly thinking on a specific problem you're going to solve. Take a company like Slack. They solve the communication, chatting and communication within an organization. Uh, Take Zoom. They solve the problem of communication through video. You take IP management software. We solve the portfolio management part of it. The problem is you can never solve the industry problem without building horizontal platforms. You cannot build, if the, the more point solutions you build, the more complex it actually gets. So on average, within any patent or, or sorry, IP practice, law firm or a corporate, they on average use about seven software products to manage their, their internal processes, uh, probably a bunch of other service providers externally uh, and so on. And this is, this is true outside of IP as well. Uh, you don't just solve one single problem. You have to connect them in, deeply integrate those products. How, how did you use to buy stocks or shares in the, in the past before the online brokerages actually existed? You used to... That's, that's even older than me. I can't tell you that, but I think it was on the, on the phone. I saw exactly. a movie once. Exactly. So you call someone on the phone and say, hey, can you buy me you know, 20 Apple shares? Uh, Fine, they hang up the phone, they go do it, and then they send you a letter after a few days telling you we've done, we've done that for you now. Uh, so I'm, I'm quite convinced that the, the, the only way to do this is sensibly is to really create an open platform where people can connect. I'm not saying everyone needs to use the same IPMS, not at all, but they need to use similar data structures and APIs to communicate with each other and with patent offices, patent trademark offices. Uh, and that's really what we're, what we're shooting for, allowing people to build. We're going to build the rails for the industry, allow them to connect, to find each other, market their firms and uh, connect with the corporates and the likes uh, and, and hopefully uh, solve this, this mega headache. Some of the most of them are going to sit and wait and some of them are going to hate what we're doing because they don't like it for some reason. They don't understand it or it's going to create problems for them one way or the other. But uh, over time, the ones that don't, if there's something that is 10x better than what you're doing today, no one's going to survive. Either they're not going to survive in the roles in those organizations that people making the decisions or the firm will not, will, will not survive. Uh, corporates will always move towards more efficiency. That's, that's the easy uh, thing. But honestly, this time around, with Dependo, we've focused a lot on the corporate market. And, but for the customer, there's only one place to go. You hire someone. Seamless. Exactly. You know what devices they're using, the payroll, the credit cards, everything is managed in the single, you know, in the same, in the same place. Uh, it's a very difficult problem to solve, but I think uh, the reward is, is massive, both for the customers and, and for, the, for the company's uh, uh, growth in the future. Now, now you, you've done so much in your uh, young life. You're, you're, how old are you now? You 46, 47? 45, yes. 45. I'm, I'm 49, so I'm, I'm, I'm uh, slightly older than you. But uh, you must look back on your life thus far uh, and, uh, and uh, acknowledge the term that you've been successful. I think people from the outside would say that about you. But uh, to you, what, is, what does success mean to you? Uh, to be honest, I probably, uh, I have a lot of very hard time actually looking back and thinking success or not. I don't see it that way. Uh, I'm terrible at it. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Uh, for me, success is, is uh, one is learning something every day. 
contributing, being part of something uh, bigger than than yourself. Uh, I want to be part of a community or working with people every day or being around people, whether it's work or something else that uh, we can we can add things to, you know, knowledge and, and be part of each other's lives rather than just work. I don't see work as work per se. I see it as building a community of, of people and even customers. A lot of my old customers have become very, very good friends. And some of them I'm even co-investing with them at the moment and some other deals. And of course, I want to I wanna be able to spend time with family and, and friends and but to me, that's all one single ecosystem. Uh, the one thing, uh, when you're young, I think you look at uh, uh, money and success, or you look at success in a very narrow way of the more money I get, the more successful I am. So you don't have to strive towards that. and You can put it to the side. But it's very hard to tell people that's that's actually what's going to happen if you are financially successful. Uh, everyone thinks this is going to be life is going to completely change and so on. Actually, a lot of people end up more depressed uh, when they have too much money. They don't know what to do with life. And I have extreme respect for for money and how how difficult it is for. I mean, I I didn't grow up with any money at all. That's to me what what success is, where where you can where you can create a life and, and a community and ecosystem where you can give back. So I spend actually quite a lot of time mentoring young people, in not only for starting companies, but just in general. In your spare time. <laughs> I, I actually, I think I need it mentally for myself to, to, to stay sane, because if I'm only doing business, it's, it's not going to, I know it's not going to be enough for me. So I actually take uh, at least an hour or two every week uh, to, to talk to young people that are doing something completely different in their lives. Uh, to, it, it helps me and it helps them. Leaving my job and starting a company, I didn't even think about it, honestly. Uh, I still don't. Uh, even if I would lose all my money, I, I know I can do it all over again in, in whatever industry. Uh, really been a pleasure talking to you today, Tony, and uh, looking forward to uh, catching up next year. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Justin. Really appreciate this, mate. Thanks, Tony. Well, that's it for our latest episode of Talking IP. And thanks to my guest, Tony Nim. Thank you for joining us. And please reach out to connect with me on LinkedIn, where we'll share updates on the release of each episode. Talking IP is brought to you by BillTrader, the fintech solution that's purpose-built for IP firms. To learn more, visit BillTrader.com. In episode four, I'll be joined by Peter Finney, Peter is an experienced UK and European patent attorney and partner at Potter Clarkson. He shares some interesting stories about his passion for startups and how to develop IP strategies that build real value.